Hi friend, this is Alex McRobbs, founder of The Mindful Life Practice, and you're listening to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I'm a Canadian who moved across the world to the Middle East at age 23, and I never went back. I got sober in 2019, and I now live full-time in Bali, Indonesia. I've made it my mission to help other women around the world stop drinking, start yoga, and change their lives through my online Sober Girls Yoga community. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl podcast. In today's episode, we have Bunmi Abo Abba as a guest, and she is in the UK. She is a sober coach. She helps people with coaching from burnout and divorce and She is also 15 years sober, and we got connected through a mutual friend, Ruby, who recommended her to be on my show to share her story with sobriety. So I want to welcome you, Bumi. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm glad to be on your show. So yeah, super excited to share kind of, you know, where I've come from, what it's like today. So, you know, give some people out there some inspiration. Yeah, amazing. And so you're 15 years sober, almost 16 years, right? Yeah, 16 years sober and yeah, very interesting journey. And it's a bit, it's been a fun one as well. Yeah. Congratulations. It's a huge accomplishment. And I know in the early days of sobriety, something like 16 years seems like so far away. And it's just incredible to think that you have been able to achieve that, that long of sobriety. So amazing. Thank you. But as I said, it's just going back to just keeping it in the day. That's all I could do right at the beginning is just keep it all in the day. And sometimes it was in the hour, you know, sometimes it was in half a day. It was just simple steps. And that's that was my I think my my big lesson right at the beginning, because I relapsed so many times was just keep it very simple. Right. Yeah. So I was wondering, maybe you could share with us a little bit about your life before sobriety. Like, what was your journey kind of leading up to that point? Right. Okay. So just really, really briefly, <laughs> I'm going to say, how long have you got? But just joking aside, um, it was the way I thought was very different right from the get-go. You know, mm-hmm. as a, a youngster, I was very much a dreamer. I was the only child until the age of 12. And then my sister came along. I came from a background which was quite a Nigerian African background. Father was very strict. They worked very hard, my mum and dad. I was a latchkey kid. So a lot of the time I spent on my own. Um, I'd go to school, come home, do my homework. Mum and dad would come back about an hour or two later. So I was very much on my own, very much the daydreamer. In a way, when looking back, I always kind of escaped (laughs) out of my head whether it was reading books, reading, watching television. I always became the character. You know, that was me. I was very much the dreamer and the meanderer through imagination. My earliest, funny enough, kind of, yeah, it was food was my first primary addiction was food. You know, it was there. My mum gave me snacks and stuff when they were, you know, working. But before they got home, I'd raid the, the pantry. And, you know, this is when my kind of food addiction did start. But then that kind of morphed as I got older into alcohol. So I remember my first alcoholic drink was at the age of 12. Wow. My parents weren't big drinkers at all. They, you know, it was Christmases, birthdays, things like that. Very rarely drank. 
But I remember being offered a glass of martini <laughs> one Christmas and that was it. It was almost like the lights came on, the sun came out, I could feel confidence and it was just that feeling. And my life was always feeling in a state of high alert. I always felt there was always going to be a problem. As soon as I left the house when I was going to school, I was the only black child at school. Um, you know, in a white community. So for me, it was, I was always on a state of, you know, what's going to happen. So that was kind of my life through, you know, for a few years. And then kind of going into university, that feeling always followed me, that kind of feeling, kind of what's going to happen. So I was always on my guard. And today I know it's the kind of sympathetic nervous system on overdrive, basically, and overwhelm. So I couldn't emotionally regulate. So for me, it was always what's going to happen next. And then being kind of on my own and my imagination, I was kind of a loner. So I had the perfect ingredients to really kind of take that drink to the next level. It made me feel different. It made me feel normal. You know, it made me feel confident. So it was my best friend. Alcohol was my best friend right through university. That was the thing always at the end of the day, you know, so long as I had my drink. And it was never a big thing. It wasn't even huge at the time. It was just a glass of wine, gin and tonic, that kind of thing. But it was, I had to have it, you know, I had to have it. And it was there. It was that little kind of mental obsession. But then that kind of morphed with life events and not being able to cope with life on life's terms, not being able to see life as it is and deal with it and be, you know, have that kind of emotional coping strategies. So it was always back to alcohol, always back to alcohol. But then when the huge events happened, like, you know, meeting somebody and getting married and all this and my profession, you know, my profession was very stressful. Then, you know, it just kind of started to build up and up and up and up um, until it was it was my nemesis. You know, it wasn't my best friend anymore. It wasn't helping me change the way I felt in a good way. And it was always interesting when I kind of think about my alcohol journey. I never actually enjoyed the taste, but I enjoyed the effects. Mm. And that was really, I think, quite significant that it had to, it just had to change the way I felt. When it stopped doing that, again, I was drinking more and more and more. And it was just like the wheels fell off bit by bit. I was trying to hide it. You know, I was very much a secret drinker. Uh, I was very much somebody who drank at home. And go out and kind of pretend that I didn't drink. You know, I didn't kind of drink in bars or anything like that. It was I was a home drinker. But it, you know, it for a long time it kind of got me through. And they just stopped working, you know. And that's when, you know, it, life got very scary and very out of control. There was a lot of consequences, um, getting a DUI, um, divorce, you know, custody, you know, have a fight for the custody of the children. My professional bodies knew about it. So, you know, it was, again, all of that was going on. And, yeah, that kind of happened. And then it was kind of, it was okay. And then, again, I was trying to scramble back to kind of normality. And, yeah, everything's going to be okay. I'll make sure I fix this. So, again, I was doing everything for everybody else, not for myself. You know, the shame and guilt and what I, you know, felt I had done, um, the mistakes I made, kind of just, you know, to kind of spurred me on for a little bit to kind of do the right thing, try and stop drinking, white knuckling it, you know, and I was successful about two or three years and then it happened again. So really it was it was a case of I would say seven rehabs, 
later. Wow. <laughs> seven, seven, fall down seven, stand up eight. It was ferocious, absolutely ferocious. So, yeah, kind of 2008 was my annus horribilis. It was the worst year of my life. And, yeah, divorce, fight for custody, my professional bodies, everything. And I think when I came out of rehab the last time, it was a case of sink or swim. I'm, I knew I was going to die when they saw me coming in and I was out of it. Um, but when I came to, he said, oh, my goodness, I've never seen anybody so bad, like so bad. I went, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Wow. Um, but probably about six months out of re, I'd found out that that person had died of an overdose. And that made me realise how powerful this all is. So powerful. And that's when I I made a decision to try and have different approaches. So for me, it was, you know, I kind of did AA. But then I really had to find out, I had to have my own journey as well. And I knew there was something more. AA had saved my life, but I had I, I was I was seeking other ways of staying well. And it was quite it was an it's coincidence actually. Well, it wasn't coincidence. I think it's the universe. But I, I remember speaking to this lady, patient of mine, you know, as a friend, and you know, I was just saying, you know, I'm you know kind of out. We're both kind of you know, she's in she was in AA, so we kind of chatted, and she said, "Look, speak to this woman. I know this woman. She's fantastic. She's called Anna Coates." my friend today go and have a chat with her she's a shaman go and have a talk with her and I'm, I'm in the medical profession what is a shaman <laughs> I don't know what a shaman is you know so I had no clue but she'd gone visit her kept an open mind went to go and see her and I thought well I don't want to go on to antidepressants um I don't want to be that person addicted to Prozac you know, I'm going to, I want to get really well, top to bottom. I just knew that, you know, I just needed the whole shebang. So I went to see this lady, kept an open mind. And I remember she did a, you know, healing session on me. And immediately I felt different. Now, this is somebody who's not, you know, into, wasn't into shamanic practices, uh, anything like that. I always thought it was a bit woo-woo. And it just felt different. I felt different. It was just the, just a perceptible slight difference. But what I was going through at the time with divorce, court, uh, DUI, everything else, it was though I felt protected after her session, that everything was going to be okay. That was kind of the switch. Everything's going to be all right. I kind of knew it. And I'd never felt that way before. So I went back to see her a few more times. And it would just it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I thought there is something in this. And she, you know, she practiced Reiki on me, um, used crystals, all of that. And it was like, whoa, okay, this I'm feeling all right. <laughs> Despite what was going on around me, and it was mayhem around me, I was feeling really centered really centered so and I got greedy I wanted to find out what this was all about what Reiki you know was all about what the crystals were and so I went and started to kind of learn um became a Reiki master getting some crystal healer as well I just went into all of that um future life progression just over the years I started to build and build and build and for me it really enhanced my program that I was on in recovery it kind of really enhanced my recovery I felt 
you know, very centered curveballs wouldn't kind of hit me and destroy me anymore. You know, it was almost like there's just very grounded, very centered, not all the time. I'm not saying it's that's I'm going through life like that, but I could start to navigate life in a regulated way. You know, my emotions were a lot more centered. You know, I could regulate my emotions more. And so for me, recovery was all about, you know, the healing practices. It was, you know, that's what has kept me going. And I was just really excited about that. You know, I didn't, and it was just by sheer coincidence, I met this lady through a friend, but I didn't realise that, you know, kind of energetic practices would be able to support me and align me to who I truly want to be, how I want to show up in the world, you know. And that a lot of the time when I was drinking, I was hiding, you know, I was, you know, I didn't feel good enough. My self-esteem was on the floor, even though I was doing well on the outside, you know, little bummy on the inside was just this kid that was just scared, you know, scared of life, scared of people. Wow. Thank you, you know? so much for and through that journey. Yeah, and through that Thank journey, that you know, you know, I started to grow. You know, I started to grow inside so you know the inside was starting to match the outside whereas it was very incongruent before Mm. so it's about you know standing in my power as a woman and a sober woman and being proud of myself and not feeling shame you know from what happened in the past Mm. and being proud of being able to move forward um and I just say you know none of this was a mistake at all this was my learning you know this was learning about me and, you know, who I want to be and who I really want to, you know, to, to show in the world. So, yeah, and so today's, you know, 15 years down the line, you know, I carry that all. I do it daily in my practices, you know, and I'm excited to, you know, to have, you know, people that I can help. And that at the end of the day is that's what I'm about, is all about service. And I love it. I just love it. So amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And you know, what really interested me about your story is that it just reminds me a lot about, you know, my own personal journey, which is 30 days into my sobriety, I met a psychic and he, that was the moment of like, he instilled this hope and this faith in me of like, this is going to be okay. And then he actually sent me to practice Reiki and I did my Reiki levels as well. And so that was a big part of my early days of sobriety. And I just really resonated with that share because it just seems like such a similar path to me of like, you know, the initial sobriety work is done, but then it was really the spirituality that kept me on the path to healing. Absolutely. And and that's what I was missing for so long. You know, the seven rehabs didn't, for me, I just, I wasn't getting that it was the whole, whole of me that needed to be healed. You know, the spiritual side, um, mm-hmm. you know, which it was so important. So that hole in the soul was always there. I was always, I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, that kind of restless feeling, irritable. I don't know what I should be doing in, in, in life, why I'm like I'm feeling, you know, and it was that spiritual work. It was that, you know, the, the energetic practices that helped to fill that up, you know, to say, I don't mind inside. You're going to get well from inside, within. And I've always said if recovery was going to be boring, you know, I'll probably still be drinking, but. My recovery has been, my recovery journey has been amazing because I've learned so much about myself. I've, you know, I've got to a place of, yeah, just feeling happy. That happiness was never there before. But that underlying happiness and that joy is there always, that optimism, that, yeah, another morning, it's going to be great, you know. And no matter whatever happens, you know, I can still keep my centre. 
you know. Sometimes you can have a wobble, but, you know, I'm so attuned to myself now. You know, I, you know, my little practices that I do, I can do without even thinking about it, you know. But it, was, it took practice, it took work, and it is, it's a case of, you know, putting the work in. You have to be all in in your recovery, whatever it is you're doing, you know, to help you keep well and stay well and evolve as a, you know, as a beautiful woman and a human being to keep putting that work in but that work feels so much like work when you've got the energetic practices behind you it's the energetic practices that help me keep aligned with my recovery it it enhances my recovery journey my recovery whatever recovery program somebody's on energetic practices help you stay aligned keep you in the flow and and keep you moving so I just think you know combining energetic work with a recovery program it just makes it all flower blossom I absolutely agree with you absolutely so I'm wondering how you went from where you were like you know you made it out of your rehab program you got into spirituality and how have you gone from there to beginning to coach like what was the journey along that way well 2012 I I kind of did my Reiki did my NLP and something just kept guiding me to kind of just do these practices, spiritual, spiritual kind of progression, uh, future life progression, crystal work. And it was just kind of a step by step thing, really. And then I just wanted to work with some of my colleagues who were in trouble, who were kind of going through kind of some of the wars of alcohol, addiction, drugs. So, you know, I reached out to some of the professionals that I knew, you know, in my field and I started to work with them. And it seemed to kind of, yeah, they seemed to get benefit out of that. And I just felt very passionate that a lot of people don't understand about the, you know, they say they're alcoholic and there's a lot of shame and guilt around that. And they don't want to talk about And many kind of go, why can't I use willpower? Why am I such a failure? Why can't I stop? And all these things just made me really look into the neuroscience of it as well. And so that there was a, a scientific explanation because this is what then they understood it's like oh my god I get it the amygdala and then for me it was a neuroscience and it kind of started to make perfect sense why you know willpower you know wouldn't work long term why we get anxious when we don't drink and guilty when we do drink and and all these things and why we crave so for me it was explaining that in just really straightforward terms you know, to, to certain people that I knew and they were kind of like, well, you know, could you just, you know, help me? So, you know, I kind of started to put something together, listening to people's kind of feedback as well. It kind of started to morph into a, a little coaching practice. But what was very interesting, that was I took my recovery coaching in 2017. I think it was Matt, I think I knew Mandy then. I think was that so I think Mandy might have been on that that particular course. So I kind of practiced past that 2017. But I also realized a lot of people started to come to me around food. And that was something that I'd forgotten because back in 2008, when I came into recovery from alcohol and I'd stopped drinking, I was working the program, I started to kind of go towards back to the food again and then starting to realize, oh my goodness, it's jumped. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And for a short period of time, it was quite ferocious. Then I thought, hang on a minute, this is, this is, this is, I'm doing exactly the same with food as I was doing with alcohol, you know, and that felt like an addiction. 
And many people say, you can't be addicted to food back then. And I said, that's how it feels. I actually feel like I'm addicted to specific foods, you know, my my problem foods. You know, they're the ones that are high in fat, sugars and salts, you know, your processed stuff. And yeah, I was treating it just like I was treating alcohol. And I put a very, very quick stop to that because I knew very, very quickly that is, that's where I'm going. This is not feeling good. And then that's why I kind of really discovered that my primary addiction was food when I was younger. You know, that was what kept me feeling good, you know, changing the way I felt, then alcohol took over. So I thought, let me, again, look into into this a bit more because people say, yeah, you know, it's food and it's alcohol and it's food and it's alcohol and it's food. I can't, I can't uh, 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 uh. you know, trading addictions, trading one off for the other. So I started to go into learning more about food addiction, binge eating, bulimia, and then took the certification. Uh, so that I'm a food addiction counsellor. I'm on the board of the Food Addiction Institute. But it was the kind of go, everything kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? It kind of, and this is what I want to point out to your, your, you know, your listeners that you may be looking at, you know, being in recovery and alcohol, but it's, it's about, it's about you. And, you know, if things, issues aren't dealt with, root causes aren't dealt with, you'll be reaching out for something else, whether it's food, whether it's shopping, whether it's gambling, you know, it's all part of the mix, isn't it? Um, you know, it's trying to fill that hole in the soul. You know, the the feeling of not feeling self-worth, not feeling good enough. And that's self-harm, isn't it? You know, that's self-harm. Um, so we put a lot of radical self-care into my my work, a lot of radical acceptance and self-care. So, so you, we were talking about radical self-care um, and that was where we left off. And I was going to ask you, well, I want to lead into asking, so what kind of work do you do with clients? How can people work with you and what kind of services could you provide to someone who's experiencing something like this? Okay. So I have, yeah, my personal brand, which is the Re- recovery enhancement. So I'm the recovery enhancement coach. So if anybody's working a program, you know, I can enhance all that and help them tune in, align enhance their their recovery with energetic work and that's a bespoke thing it's not a you know a standard thing I kind of tune in see what's needed you know get to to really kind of assess and then start working with that person energetically you know to support their program if it's food and addiction uh food addiction again I have a a beautiful program coming out um, in a couple of weeks time and that's craving freedom my Facebook group craving freedom from binge eating and food addiction so they can connect with me there I can send you a link to that so if food is an issue as well then I suggest anyone who you know is going through a recovery program with alcohol you know may find that they're kind of veering towards food as well so you know you can always get in touch with me that way as well so kind of that's my general service at the moment and I do lovely what we call future life progression trying to find your best self and that is like your signature of success, your blueprint, who you really are. And we can do that in, it's a light trance work. And that's something we can do in a session, for instance. Um, so I do past life regression to see, you know, where it all kind of started and see if we can clear it. And then a very gentle future life progression, you know, to look at the different avenues, what life would be like in five years or 10 years. You know, if you if you carried on or five or 10 years you know, if you stopped, what your what would your life look like? You know, your future self will give you know that person the messages that they need. 
to stay sober and carry on their journey. And that's a really, really beautiful session. It normally takes about an hour, but it's really, really nice. So it gets people energised. And you're embodying kind of the energy of your future self. You're bringing it back and embodying it and working with that energy. So, yeah, I can send you links, my darling. And um, if everybody wants to reach out, then, yeah, I'm there. Definitely. Wow. That all sounds amazing. And Bunny, I must say you have like the most grounding and and beautiful energy. And and I think I'm sure people listening and watching can feel that. And so I think you would be an amazing person to partner with for this part of your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm just saying anyone. Yeah. So I'm just saying for anyone who, you know, is struggling out there, the first thing is be easy with yourself. You know, really don't beat yourself up. Take it very slow. You know, it's like meandering. (laughs) Take it a day, take it a minute, take it an hour, whatever it is, just step by step by step. So I have one more question for you, which is if, I mean, I guess that might be an answer to the question, but maybe you have more to add, which is if you had any advice or wisdom to give for someone who is just starting out their sober journey, what would that advice be? Get connected, get connection. Yeah, connection. Because addiction loves isolation, loves being on your own, you know, loves messing up with your own thinking. It's always get connected, whether it's a a peer group, whether it's AA, whether it's a, you know, holistic practice, you know, start connecting with people, you know, who've been through a similar journey yourself. Um, And that, that connection is key. Connection and consistency. Whatever practice you're doing, be consistent because it will work. Love that connection yeah. and consistency. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Bonnie, thank you so much for oh, your time today being on the show. You're just a beautiful person and your story is so inspiring. And I just appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Alex. Welcome. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sober Yoga Girl Podcast. This community wouldn't exist without you here, so thank you. It would be massively helpful if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast so it can reach more people. If we haven't met yet in real life, please come get your one-week free trial of the Sober Girls Yoga membership and see what we're all about. Sending you love and light wherever you are in the world.